0: If you have your worship folder, there's an outline in it, and there's some drawings on there. You can doodle a little more if you want. There's a couple fill-ins. Today, we're in part four. We're actually saying goodbye to um, our Stranger Things series. We're going to do something different next week, but um, we're in part four, and we're we're having a little fun with the launch of this, but the things that we're talking about are extremely serious. Today, we're talking about... Um, strange, a strange perspective In persecution That while things are going on like that um, We as followers of Jesus As called out church Have a strange perspective And the one way to describe What I'm going to tell you in this message Is this is probably The most encouraging message That you don't want to hear It's kind of like The, the, the good news Bad news kind of thing. It's like the guy one one day decided to jump out of an airplane, you know, a parachute. Dude, try that. Try that. And when he jumped, there was good news and bad news. The good news was he had a parachute. The bad news was it didn't work. The good news was there was a haystack below him. The bad news was there was a pitchfork in it. (laughs) The good news was he missed the pitchfork. The bad news is because he missed the haystack. (laughs) So today it could be some good news and bad news, a little bit of both, I don't know. But um, we we think of persecution and and we think of Jesus and what he promised and we want. We know that, that there is no life without him. And we think about coming to Jesus and what he wants to do for us. But sometimes we forget that he never promised that if we followed him, we would be rich. He never said that. And anybody that tells you that is misquoting him because he never said that. He never promised that in this world, you wouldn't have your heart broken, that you wouldn't, uh, in in the course of doing something right, have something bad happen to you and have somebody break your heart. Jesus never promised that your car wouldn't break down, that you wouldn't have bad things happen to your house, that things wouldn't happen in your family. He never promised any of that. What did he promise? He promised that if we follow him, you will be persecuted. Welcome to Journey North Church. <laughs> we're glad <laughs> you're here today. <laughs> Hope you feel better after being here. In John 15, uh, here's what Jesus says in, in verse 18, and then we're going to skip down to 20. Here's what he says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted you, if they persecuted me, excuse me, they will persecute you also. Did they persecute him? Duh, yeah, we're going to celebrate that um, in the next couple weeks um, when we get to the, the crucifixion and Easter. But Jesus said, if they hated me, don't you think they're going to hate you? Because if you're followers of me, you're supposed to be coming like me. In fact, that's how I can summarize everything. What do we do here at Journey in Our Church? We try to help people be like Jesus. That, that's the bottom line. And so, in First Peter, if you remember this, this series, we're just kind of running through First Peter, hitting some of the highlights, and the context is that he's writing to these, um, these Christians that were kind of scattered abroad because of the persecution that was going on, and where they were being scattered to, the persecution was not letting up, and this was the Emperor Nero, remember, was the one who was in charge of this, and he was, um, he was quite the guy, he murdered his mom, he murdered his, his wife, his first wife, Octavia. Uh, most likely, he also killed his second wife. Anybody who was a threat to him, he got rid of in a, in a very, you know, never mind. I was going to say a very political way. We see a lot of that. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. Um, they suspect, um, at that time, it was like 60, I think 64 AD. They suspect um, that's when Rome burned. And it burned for like six days out of control or something. They suspect that he's the one that started the fire. Because he had an insatiable lust and desire to build. And the Senate wasn't working with him and allow him to tear everything down so he could build new stuff. So they suspect he just burned it all down so that he could build new stuff. And um, the fires kind of went out, but they weren't done yet. So kind of strangely, they started up again and burned for three more days. And when, when it wasn't coming back to him real well, people were giving him a little flack for that because they suspected he did it. He blamed the Christians. The Christians were already under persecution at that time. They were, we talked about this last week, how they were looked at, the, how these people thought so poorly of the Christians that they were this wacko thing that was doing very bad things, and they weren't, but that's how they were being looked at. And they were under extreme persecution. <clears throat> Let me give you just a few statistics. On average, on average, in a typical month, 300, over 320 Christians killed. In an average month, in an average month, over two hundred and fourteen Christian-like properties—you know, they have their church building or whatever—destroyed. In an average month, over seven hundred and seventy acts of violence against Christians: raped, beaten, tortured, imprisoned. Oh wait, that's not during Nero. That's today. That's today. Newsweek did an article a couple months ago, which is interesting, it was Newsweek, and Huffington Post did basically the same article and said that most people believe that the previous decade was the worst decade of Christian persecution in the history of the world, the last 10 years. We make up about, Christians make up about a third of the people but they account for over 80% of the persecution worldwide. It's interesting. How often do you read that in the news? How often do you see how that's happening in these countries? And when you look at the countries that are persecuting Christians and what's happening there, it's like crickets chirping. There's nothing being said about that. In different parts of the world, it looks different. The truth is persecution is happening everywhere. It's just different levels, and it looks differently in different parts of the world. There are some places you might lose your family. There are some places you might lose your job. Maybe it's serious enough to get arrested you know, and beaten in prison or something. And, and maybe it's just, yeah, I didn't get invited to the party. Although that sounds trivial, if you're a teenager, it's not trivial. If you're persecuted for Jesus, Because persecution comes in all forms, and depending on your season of life and stage of life, it might look different, but we react, we are supposed to react to persecution in a way that to this upside-down world is going to look really strange. That's what we're going to talk about today. Our perspective in persecution will look strange. We are not being persecuted in America here like they are in these other countries. There's like 50 countries on the list or something like that right now that the persecution is incredibly severe. That doesn't mean it won't come here. That also doesn't mean that it's not here but in a different form. So we need to get this. We need to understand what this is talking about. So here's what Peter says, starting in verse 12 of chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised. At the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. You know, he's caught, They're strange, they know that. So don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. See, if you're living faithfully for Jesus, don't be surprised when you face opposition. It might not be that your family's murdered. It might not be that you know somebody's beheaded in your family. It might not be that you're thrown in prison for being a Christian. But don't be surprised when you face, op- when you face opposition for living boldly and standing up for Jesus. That's what he's saying. In, in our family, um, over the years when our kids were in school, we did more like volleyball and basketball games than I can even count. We were, I think, every gym in, in Minnesota at one time or another. And and here's what I remember: as you're sitting there, you kind of you kind of scope out the other team, and you see the players, and then you see a group of players that are sitting on a bench. They're sitting on a bench. They still have their warm-ups on. Okay, they're playing games on their phone. Am I really worried about them as a threat to my team? (laughs) Probably not. They don't even know what's happening in the game. Everybody cheers and they look up like, "What was that? What was that?" You know, they don't even know what's happening. We're not worried about them. But here's what happens: the warm-up comes off. You get in the game and you start hustling and you start doing stuff. And all of a sudden, the other team wants to shut you down because now you're a threat. They don't care if you're just sitting on the bench with your warm-up on. You're, not, you're that's nothing. It's the same thing in life. If you're on the bench spiritually you have to decide whether or not you are. But if you're on the bench spiritually and you're not serving or or giving, your prayer life is weak. You're not spending time in God's word. You're not sharing the hope that you have in you. Nobody's asking because they don't even see it. You know what? You're not a threat. The opposition you face is not going to be because you're a threat. It's probably because you make dumb decisions. We all face that kind of stuff. A lot of people say, oh, I'm in persecution right now. And they tell me what they did. And I said, no, nah, you just made a stupid decision. <laughs> but sometimes when we make the right decision, we experience the persecution and we're a threat because you get in the game. And when you get in the game, the enemy takes notice. I mentioned the ladies retreat. It, it happened the week or two previous to that. And it's happening at the ladies retreat right now. The enemy is ramping up full, full speed. And the reason is they're in the game. They're doing something for Jesus. As we prepare for um, Easter, the enemy has been ramping things up. It would be really easy for that to discourage me because every time I turn around, it's something. But actually, that's good news because it means we're in the game. It means we're doing something and he's taking notice. What, what Peter's saying here is, you know, don't be surprised if you're... It's like somebody who goes to battle. And he says, well, they're shooting at me. It's like, oh, you went to battle. It's what they do. Don't be surprised, okay? Because what did you expect? Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. Because we have an enemy who wants to make sure that what we're doing does not accomplish what God wants it to accomplish, so he says, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. And it's interesting he chose those words because it's very likely that he was being literal when he said that. Remember, in the last couple of weeks we've talked about that some of the different ways that he persecuted Christians. One of the ways is that he would um, fasten them up to a tree in his courtyard. And he would cover them with wax and oil and light them on fire. Alive. While he had his party. And Peter writes, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. See, those are the kind of things that were happening, not because they were doing bad things, but simply because they lived for Jesus. If Peter was writing this message today, he might adapt it to his audience, depending on what part of the world he was writing to. If he was writing to Christians in like a, company, a country like in northern Africa, on Libya and Egypt and stuff... He might might say, Don't be surprised if someone you know or someone in your family is beheaded. Because that's what's happening today in those countries. If it was in the the Middle East, he might say, Don't be surprised if your family disowns you for following Christ and completely turns their back on you and pretends that you never existed because you followed Christ. Or maybe if he's writing to you know a, a young kid, maybe a young girl in high school or college, he says, Don't be surprised if you don't get a second date because you take a stand on the first date and say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I do what he wants. Don't be surprised when you don't get a second date. Maybe, maybe if he was writing to you, he might say something like, don't be surprised if your family makes fun at you over Christmas dinner or Easter dinner because you talk about Jesus. Don't be surprised when that happens. Here's what he tells us to do. In verse 13. Instead, be very glad. Now that's not being glad for the bad things that are happening to you because you make dumb decisions. That's a whole different story. This is being glad when those things are happening to you because you claim the name of Jesus. Not because you post it on Facebook, but because you live it. I'm not saying don't post it on Facebook. I'm just saying if you don't live it, don't post it on Facebook. But if you live it, that's okay. And when you live it, don't be surprised when there's opposition. He said, instead be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Jesus suffered, and we we are right alongside him when that's happening. He says, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Because it's about Jesus. It's about our relationship with Jesus. And it's about when he comes back, that's what I'm living for. I'm living for that audience of one. I'm not living to make sure that everything here is perfect for me. Because there are way too many people who the most important thing in life is comfort. It's just that to so many people are just, that's, what are you looking for? Comfort. I'm looking for pleasure. I'm looking for ease. I don't want it to be hard. I want it to be easy. And so they they avoid the conflict, you know, evading any of that uh, opposition and taking the path of least resistance because they just don't want to make waves. They don't want that to happen. And sometimes the way that plays out is when you're a follower of Jesus and you have some people around you that aren't, you will do things. You will take a path to fit in because you don't want to make waves. You want comfort. You know, in the group you're in, they might be doing something, uh, you know, smoking or drinking in a way that you think is not right, and you'll do that just to fit in. Or somebody will tell a racist or a sexist joke, and you know you're not supposed to laugh at that. You know it's wrong, and you laugh anyhow because you don't want them to look at you funny. Or maybe you just kind of keep your faith to yourself because you don't want anybody to poke fun at you. And you just kind of keep it inside because... What you're looking for when you do that is comfort. You're looking for that that ease. And, and maybe you've done this long enough to discover if that's what you're looking for, you never find it. If that's your goal, you'll never find it. On your outline, there's a couple circles. I actually put them in the wrong order. It was one of those weeks. They're in the wrong order on your outline. When the outline goes online, it'll be correct. So you're going to look at the right side first. But... Um, if you look, the, when, when people pursue comfort, when that's their main thing, when they say, I just want it to be easy, I don't want there to be a, a lot of opposition, when they pursue comfort, what happens is they avoid any of that kind of opposition. They do what they can so that that doesn't happen to them. So you pursue comfort, you av- avoid opposition, and then what happens as a result of that is your faith weakens. Because Peter's telling us, In those trials is where we are made strong. And when you're avoiding all of that, your faith is going to get weaker. And then when your faith weakens, the next thing that happens is, go ahead and put the next one up, your life is empty. Because without faith in in Jesus, there is nothing. And so you, you pursue comfort, you avoid opposition, your faith weakens as a result, your life's empty. And so what do you do when your life's empty? You go back to trying to make it comfortable. And it just goes round and around and around. And then you get to the end of your life and realize everything you wanted, you didn't get. Everything you were searching for to fill that void didn't happen. There's another cycle that you can take. Harley, <laughs> not I'm kidding. There's another cycle that you can take. And that comes from living the way we're talking about here. I'm just dreaming of that because my driveway is not quite dried out yet, but it's getting close. I thought yesterday it was frozen. I could have left in the morning on my bike. I just could not come back until the following morning because my driveway is too muddy. Anyhow, you live boldly for Jesus. That's another option. It's a choice that you make to say, I understand that it might not all go comfy like I think, but I'm going to live boldly for Jesus. And when you do that, Peter says, don't be surprised when you face opposition. Because that's what happens when we live for Jesus. But He says there's, it's the bad news, good news thing. You face you face opposition, but when you face opposition, your faith will be strengthened. That's what grows our faith. It grows during those times of pressure. We're exercising those muscles. We're working out, and good things are happening. So you live boldly, you face opposition, and your faith is strengthened. And when that happens, the result is you get closer to Jesus. You are closer to Christ because of that. You come through the other side of that trial, sometimes right in the middle of it. And you realize your suffering ties you in with Jesus because he suffered too. And when, then, you get closer to Christ, it enables you to live boldly. That's another cycle. You can choose that, or you can choose the other one. And look for the comfort and ease, knowing that you're never going to get it. Or you can live boldly for Jesus and realize, I'll I'll face opposition. But my my, my faith will be strengthened, and I will get closer to Jesus because of that. So that I can continue to live for him. So Peter says in verse 19, So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, and it's not like God is saying, Oh, good, they're suffering. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you're suffering because you have chosen to follow Jesus. And when you choose to follow him, that pleases him. And we know we're going to suffer for that. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And he has to tell us that because what we will want to do is stop doing what's right because that's what's causing our pain. He says, keep on doing what's right. And here, I love this. Trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Anything else you put your trust in will fail you. If you're on that other cycle, if you're moving that other direction and you think you're going to find something that's going to work for you, it will fail you. He's the only thing that never fails us. I remember I, I struggled with this the, the, the moment I came to Jesus. I was trying to decide. Some of you know my story. I was a, 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 a kid at camp, an 18-year-old at camp. And um, I, I, Jesus was calling me and I knew it. I had been a phony I had been going the wrong direction fast, and I, was, I, I got late. I was at camp, and I had to go to chapel because you had to go to chapel in the, in the morning and in the evening at this camp. And because I was late, uh, I, I was actually trying to get out of it altogether, and it caught me, and I had to go. The only sea left was near the front. I remember as we're standing, the guy's given this invitation to come to Jesus and and they're singing like 46 verses of this song so that people, because there's one more and in my heart I'm knowing it's me. But I don't want to do that. I looked down, my knuckles were white from grabbing onto the plastic chair in front of me. And I I was having this argument with God and with myself because here's what I knew. There was a choice to be made. And if I chose Jesus... All of the friends I had would be gone. I knew that. Or at least I thought I knew that. Here's what you need to understand. When he says in 1 Peter 4.19, Keep on doing what is right. God will never fail you. Here's, Here's how we'll say that. Do what is right. And trust God with the result. Just do what's right. You say, but I don't know how it's gonna it doesn't matter. I had to do what was right in that moment and 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 make a decision to say yes to Jesus, not knowing what the results were gonna be, and I just had to trust God with the results. I ended up in Bible college, and and, and after cramming four years into five, I got out of school and some of you will catch that later. And um and I, I moved out of the house, and I was living in, I was in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I, I was very into photography at that time. And I got a job in a camera store. And I remember going into the camera store the first day thinking, boy, these people that work here are really cool. You know, I don't know why they picked me to work here. These are cool people. They were also very not, not Jesus followers. And I, it was like one of my first tests where depending on what came out of my mouth, they may or may not want me around when I tell them my story. And all I could think of was do what is right and trust God with the results. I knew what I had to do. Do you know what happened? I'm not going to tell you because it doesn't matter. We trust God with the results. The bottom line is I did what was right. And in your situation it doesn't matter if it worked out right in your eyes or not so right in your eyes. We do what's right. And we trust God with the results. When you're at work, you do what's right. Even if nobody's watching, even if you think you can do this thing over here and it might end up being, you know, quote, better, but it's not quite, like, legal, you know, you do what's right at work. You do what's right at school. You do what's right at home with your family. Whether people are watching or not, and you trust God with the results, we don't cut corners. We don't compromise our values, and we don't shy away from standing up for Jesus. Because we're in a world that's getting darker and darker. It's moving farther and farther away from from the light. And that's why it's getting darker and darker. And I have a lot of people tell me that, you know, you read the news, you see what's happening in these other countries, you see what's happening in America. Doesn't this worry you? Don't you ever worry? And they hate my response. Not at all. I don't worry at all about what's happening in America. Could persecution be coming? Yep. You know what happens every single time persecution comes? The church grows. China has been on the list of places that persecute churches for decades. For hundreds of years, actually. Did you know that right now, because so many churches are now illegal in China and they're persecuting them so much that the church is growing so much there are now more Christians in China than there are in the United States. And it's illegal there. So people say, are you worried about what's happening? No, I'm not worried at all. For me walking with Jesus all these years, this is going to sound weird, but we're in a series called Stranger People. Okay, So I'm one of those stranger people. There is a certain comfort in being uncomfortable. Because the reason I'm uncomfortable is because I'm following Jesus. And there is now a certain comfort in being uncomfortable that I know that I can just put myself out there And I can do that thing that could have results that I don't necessarily like, but it's the right thing. And when I do that, that's when I experience God. That's when He shows up. And that's when I get closer to Him. Show that slide again with those two different cycles on it. I really should have had a picture with two motorcycles. (laughs) You can pursue comfort, you can avoid opposition which will weaken your faith, which will make your life empty, and which will continue that cycle. Or you can live boldly for Jesus. And knowing, like Peter says, don't be surprised when you do that, you will face opposition. But when you face opposition, your faith will be strengthened. And when your faith is strengthened, you will be closer to Jesus. And when you are closer to Christ, it is far easier to live boldly for him. And it will go on. So let me ask you this. Don't answer this out loud, but be honest. Which side best represents you? Maybe maybe this. Which side best represents you in the last seven days? This past week, where would you place yourself on that? Here's how Peter wraps this up. Remember, he's speaking to people who are intensely suffering under persecution. He says, verse 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You see, the whole pride thing, the whole humility thing, that's way huger than we could ever imagine. It's huge. And if we lift ourselves up, God won't. But if we humble ourselves at the right time, it says, He will lift us up in honor. Too many people want the honor, and so they're lifting themselves up in honor, continuously. You all know people that you can't even talk to them for five minutes without them telling you four stories about themselves. To You've got to uh, you gotta see how great I am. And it's like, you're getting like, This is much glory, and that's all you're ever going to get. But when God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and when you humble yourself under the mighty power of God, then he will lift you up at the right time. And and it says he will lift you up in honor. And when he does it, it's way better than when we do it for ourselves. So here's what we do in verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because he cares about you. You have worries and cares. If you don't, just talk to somebody that's close to you and they'll fill you in. There's probably a lot of things that you can worry and care about. But what we should do is give them to God because he cares about us. That give all, another translation says, cast your cares on him. The reason it says that is because the word for give all is a fishing term. And if you're like me, the first thing you think of is casting. casting. That's not the kind of casting it is. It's when you have your net in your hand. And you take it and you just fling it out there. You let it go and you fling it out there. It's all or nothing. You just fling it out there. That's what he's telling us to do here with all of our worries and all of our cares. Whatever you're worried about, just cast it on him. Give it to him. Why? Because he cares about you. So if it's your finances, you're struggling in your finances. If you're struggling in your finances, there's going to be a sign-up shortly. We're going to be doing a, a financial peace university, Dave Ramsey thing here. If you're struggling in your finances, you need to sign up for that. But what you can do in the meantime is take that worry and take that care about it and cast it on Jesus. You're struggling with your kids and maybe the choices they're making or the choices you're making as you know, and you're worried about what's happening there, cast it on Jesus. Take your cares and put it right on him. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's something that you can do something about, and you just haven't done that yet. Maybe it's something you can't do anything about. Cast it on him. Just throw the whole thing on him. Why? Because he cares about you. And then he concludes with, so after you have suffered a little while, What that means is, when you're suffering for Jesus, it's not going to last forever. Now, it may, it's kind of good news, bad news, it's not going to last forever. It may last to the end of your life. but It's not going to last forever. He said, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Did you catch that? He will restore you that means the things you might have lost because you were following Jesus, he will restore you. He will support you. He will strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. Because when you're following him, you may not always feel that when the world is shaking so much under you. He will restore you, support you, strengthen you, place you on a firm foundation. And he says, all power to him forever. Amen. Because that's... That's what we have to look forward to as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have that to look forward to. Is the world getting darker? Yeah. And it's just going to keep getting darker. We have something to look forward to. That's why as followers of Jesus, which is who Peter is writing to here, that's why we don't conform to the standards of this world. Because he reminds them over and over, this world is not our home. We don't have to live according to their standards. That's why we are set apart. Remember, the word for church is the called out assembly, the called out body of believers, called out of the world into the kingdom to be set apart. That's why we're stranger, because this world isn't our home. I'd like to ask you to close your eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes as we we finish in prayer here. There is... um, there is a tension about this that I understand is difficult. So as you have your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe, maybe what you're thinking is those two things that we saw that, that you can make those two different choices to live those two different ways. I'm going the wrong direction. I'm not living boldly for Jesus. I'm far more concerned with my comfort and my ease. And so maybe as a follower of Jesus, you would say today, I want to live more boldly. I've been too comfortable just because that's what I've been seeking. And so followers of Jesus, maybe what you are saying, maybe what he's asking you to say today is bring it on. You know, come what may, I refuse to be on the bench. I want to get in the game. And so you're asking to be empowered to do what is right and to trust God with the results. And maybe you're a follower, you're not a follower of Jesus and and you've heard about the religious thing and the church thing and, and you realize today it's not about religion, it's not about church, it's about Jesus. It's about a relationship with him. And so today, maybe what he's asking you to do is start on that journey with him realizing, is there a cost? Yep, there's a cost. But it's the best life in the universe following him. So let's pray. Father. I know that there are people all over the map today in, in, in here listening to this. Some are, are followers of you that are living boldly for you and getting closer to you and seeing you do amazing things in their life. There are some here that are followers of you that they're a little bit too concerned with their comfort. And so they're avoiding that opposition, and their faith has not been getting stronger. It's been getting weaker. They're not in the game. They're on the bench with their warm-up jersey on, playing games on their phone. And today, Father, you're speaking to them to say it's time to take the warm-up off, to put the toys down, and to get in the game. To live boldly for Jesus. To face that opposition, knowing that when that happens, your faith will be strengthened and you will be closer to Jesus. And Father, I know there's people listening to that that have never had that relationship with you. They thought it was about church. They thought it was about do's and don'ts and lists and, and and they didn't realize it was about having a relationship with one who loved them so much that he died for them. And today in simple faith, Father, I pray that you would just um, uh, allow them to say, Jesus, I want in. I want to live for you today. I want you to take away my sin, my past. Forgive me of that. I want that meaning and purpose in life today instead of just chasing the wind and instead of just chasing comfort so that I can have a hope for the future. Father, thank you for what you're doing here. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. What a fitting conclusion. It doesn't matter what happens. If you do what's right, you can leave the results in the hands of a God who loves you who will never leave you. The results may or may not be what you think they should be, but when you look back on it, you realize he was in charge. It was good. And like Jesus, I want to be able to, for the joy set before me, endure the things that I have to endure now. Because don't be surprised standing up for Jesus when things happen. But we can not only get through those things, we can thrive and shine through those things, and the joy of the Lord can be our strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for all that you've done to provide this way for us and help us to boldly stand for you, to just do what's right, to leave the results in your hands, knowing that you care for us. Help us to be able to live for you and cast all our cares on you. We love you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.